Now, last week, we left our friends Paul and Silas in a pretty, in a pretty pickle. They were in the inner prison of the jail, and they had their feet in stock, so they were sitting on the cold, hard ground. And we said, wow, after they had done such good deeds, after they had reached out and, and helped that slave girl get free from that demonic spirit, now they were being punished for doing something good. And it seems oftentimes as a Christian will step up and do something, say something, uh, make a statement, it will often be said that they need to shut us down. In fact, I saw this week uh, one of our senators up there in Washington, D.C., was saying that Christians had become too vocal and had decided that they were trying to impress their faith on the U.S. government. And I think her quote was, we need to shut them down. And uh, when I hear a public figure say that Christians need to be shut down because they are expressing their opinion, expressing their faith, it kind of makes me worried that we're not very far from where Paul and Silas were last week. We are in Acts chapter 16 again. We're going to pick up in verse 25. Right after they've been arrested, they've been thrown in the inner prison. They've had their feet clamped into the stocks. We're going to see what happens when mercy does fail. Because you know what? When God is involved with everything in our life, he is that master planner. You may think something's gone wrong, but you may not know that God is bringing you to the place you need to be to be used in the way he chooses to use you. Because even if you are in the midst of defeat, God can snatch a victory from defeat. Amen. I mean, we look at football and you are down and you get you get that immaculate reception and you run back the entire field and and you win the game and they go, it's a miracle. It's not a miracle. It's just football. But in life, sometimes when the Christian is defeated and feeling down, God does do a miracle. Let's see what that looks like. There are three signs for us to look for when God is involved. If you think something's gone wrong in your life, you think, how did I get here? Look for three things that God is doing, and you'll know that God is in charge. First thing here, Acts 16.25. When God's involved, something miraculous happens. Something unexpected occurs. Acts 16.25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, wait a second. Yesterday, last week, we saw that they were beaten with rods. They were beaten and pulverized, thrown into this cold prison in the inside. No fresh air, no circulation. Their feet clamped off in stocks. How can they be praying and singing hymns to God? Easy, because what happens to the body doesn't necessarily affect the soul. Just because our circumstances are bad doesn't mean our hearts are broken, doesn't mean our faith is crushed, doesn't mean that the inner person can't celebrate God's presence even in bad times. This country has seen some rough times. My dad lived through the Depression. He lived through all those things that happened. He lived through World War II. He lived through all that he saw in Germany. So even in the midst of terrible times, God is still involved. So Paul and Silas... Midnight, of course, they're sitting on the ground, feet are stocked up, they're not comfortable, so they're not able to lay down and sleep. So what do they do? They pray and they sing. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened. Notice, not Paul and Silas's door was opened. All of the doors were opened. 
Now, earthquakes were common in this part of the world. This would be in the modern-day state of Turkey, that, that area right there, uh, as it goes over toward Greece. And if you look, earthquakes do happen there. But this was such a violent earthquake that it opened all the doors and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, hang on. Why would you kill yourself? Why not go after the prisoners? A Roman guard who allowed his prisoners to escape could suffer a horrible, horrible death. Not something quick or expedient like falling on a sword, piercing the heart, ending your life. You could be stood on your shield. You could be stood on your clothing and set on fire and burned in front of all your troops to show you that you can't fail in your task. The Romans had very strict punishments for those who failed them in the performance of their duty. So he said the best way to do this was to kill myself and not have to suffer these humiliating punishments. So you see, here's what's happening. They were testifying. They were testifying at midnight. They were singing. They were praying. And who was listening? The prisoners were listening. Even at night, in the prison, in pain, they could still see that God was at work. Plus, when you've got a captive audience, why not let them know what's going on? If you think about it, it says in James 5, 10 through 11, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider these blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James was reminding those who were suffering that in the past, those who follow God also suffered, but that through their suffering, God did great things. I read that and I think about the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was told to do many weird and strange things to teach Israel about what they had done to God. He had to lay on his side for six months without moving. Then he had to go lay on the other side for six months without moving. Horrible, horrible thing to do. But in the midst of that suffering, he was teaching the people of Israel what it was that they were doing to God. If you think about it, sometimes our struggles teach us more about God than our prosperity and our success. When do we pray most? When we're hurting. When do we pray most? When our health is broken, our finances are broken, our family is afflicted. That's when we pray Think about your own life. When do you pray hardest? When do you truly get on your knees and weep before God? When things are not right. You see, they were testifying because everything seemed to be going wrong. But see, Paul and Silas knew this. When everything seems to be going wrong, then it can be going very, very right. Because when you are suffering, People will come into your life and see you and go, how can you rejoice in God when you're suffering? Because I know that he who has begun this good work in me will continue it unto the day of Christ. That no matter what happens to me, it's going to result in my being brought closer to Jesus. So you see, when something unexpected happens, that means God is doing something. Never assume that things happen by accident whether it be a car accident, a physical illness, it might be some interruption at work, it may be some crisis in your family. God is at work in the midst of that, but you've got to have the mindset of prayer and praise in order to be ready to be part of what God is doing. I've told you before, when Charles Stanley fell and broke his hip, 
He was laying there on the ground and he was in pain. His question was not, God, why did you do this to me? But Lord, what are you trying to show me? And that's what our, our response should be. Lord, here I am in prison. My feet are in stocks. I'm uncomfortable. It's cold. What are you trying to do, Lord? What are you trying to show me? Let's keep going with our story. So we're going to move on to the second thing, second sign that God is at work. And that's in Acts chapter 16, verse 28. The object of God's work is seen in the midst of all of that unexpected happening. God's got something going on, and you're going to see it in the middle of that. Acts 16, 28. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, because all of us are here. Now, I've never known prisoners to take compassion on their jailers. I met a lot of people who've done time in the custody of the state, and they have no love for the prison guard. They have no love for their jailers. They have no love for those who put them in that situation. But the truth is, they put themselves in that situation. Yet here, Paul shouts out, he sees or he, he sees, perceives what this guy is going to do. Maybe he sees him standing there at this long at this long passageway. And he's looking around. He sees all the doors open. He sees him reach for his sword. Most of the other prisoners would go and wait for the guy to kill himself so that they could rejoice. Paul says, wait, don't do it. We're still here. Nobody's run away. No one's left. That in and of itself is a miracle. Most prisoners, when they're given a chance, will run for their lives, literally run for their lives. But they didn't. God held them back because God was doing something strange. He goes on and says this, Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Remember I told you that the prisoners were listening when Paul and Silas were testifying? The jailer was listening too. You see, their testimony was heard. It was heard by the jailer, and he was maybe laying there on his cot or in his seat, and he's hearing these words of testimony, these words of praise, and he's thinking, these guys are crazy. They're praising God, and they're in prison. They've been beaten. They're hurting, and they're still praising God. Then the earthquake comes, and suddenly he goes, what, what's happening? Is, is there God freeing them? Oh, and they're going to be gone, and I'm going to be tortured. So he's going to kill himself. When Paul cries out, then basically the jailer goes, he falls down. He says this, he falls down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? How did he know to ask that question? He is a Greek. He's a Roman. He's not a Jew. He's not a believer. He's not, he's not anything. He's just a prison guard. How does he know to ask, how can I be saved? Have you ever listened to the words of our hymns? Listen to the words of some of these hymns that were written in the 1800s, the 1900s. You know, people don't like the song Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And once was lost, nobody likes to admit they were lost. Nobody likes to admit that they were out of control. Nobody likes to admit that you saved such a worm as I. Nobody likes to conceive themselves as something less than totally in control of their own life. Yet the reason our hymns are the way they are is they're meant to teach us something. They're meant to show us the truth of the Gospels so that we can go along and sing. One of the greatest hymn writers of the 1800s uh, was known for this. He would sit and listen 
and his name was Charles Wesley, by the way. He would sit and listen. His brother was a preacher, by the way. He would sit and listen to people sing. One day he heard a drunk staggering down the road singing a bar song, a rather nasty bar song from what I read. And he says, wow, what a great tune. He took that tune, he rewrote the words and created a hymn. And when that hymn was sung in church, this is how you know God's doing something. When that hymn was sung in church, everybody started to sing the wrong words because everybody knew the bar song. Everybody knew what it was and not what Charles wanted it to be. So you see, it's interesting how God does all this stuff, this, this testimony. So he says this, what must I do to be saved? He knew what they were singing about. He knew their words. And now he's curious. So they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, is that interesting? You and your household. Every person has to decide for Jesus Christ on their own, right? Just because Derek is a believer doesn't do anything for Peyton or Matthew or Rico. Because they're individual grown men. They have to make their own decisions. Look at that, Matthew, you're a grown man. Who knew? They're all old enough to make that decision for themselves. And until they make that decision for themselves, they are not a believer in Jesus Christ. Just because mom and dad are doesn't mean you are. My daughter grew up in the house of a preacher, a loud preacher at that. But until she came to faith in Christ on her own, made that decision, chose to be baptized, it was not effective for her just because I was a preacher. So that's, 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 that's how it really is. We have to make those decisions. So I think it's amazing. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. How is that possible? I will tell you how. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, people see you. Our children never do what we say. Can I get an amen? They never do what we say. But, but, they do what we do. They follow our example. I realized later in life, I learned a lot of things from my dad, not from so much what he taught me as how he did things. Now, some things he did, I decided not to do that. But some things he did, I, I catch myself doing it. Why? I learned by what I saw. I learned by what I could observe. So people are not going to believe what you say, but they will believe what you do. They will believe what you are seen doing, how you conduct yourself, how you live your life. This jailer had seen Paul and Silas in jail. He had seen them not cursing, not swearing, not angry at the gods as other men were. He saw them filled with praise, filled with gratitude, singing to their God at midnight with wounds still in their flesh. And he was touched by what he saw, then by what he heard. So when something unexpected happens in your life, something tragic, something sad, or something wonderful, but out of nowhere, start to ask what God's doing. Then, as you begin to go through that experience, you will see what God is doing. You will be aware of what God's involved in. And last thing, I want you to see this. When you are observing what God's doing and you see the object of his work, then a new work can begin in your life. A new work can be a change in direction. So many people 
have walked in the back door of a church as non-Christians. Oh, they knew there was a God. Oh, they knew that his name was Jesus. They knew all those things in their head. But until they actually entered into a relationship with Jesus, they didn't know what it was. And when you finally accept, when you believe in your heart, then suddenly everything is changed. So this new work can begin. Take a look at Acts 16.32. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his household. Now, why would he do that? He's still wounded. He's still beaten. He's still cold. So they let him out. They bring him in. How can we be saved? And they tell him this. This is midnight, people. They have been beaten. They've been sitting in a cold prison cell all day long. They're hurting. They are exhausted. But now that they have a chance to rest, they don't take it. You know why? Romans 1, 14 through 16. We just finished the book of Romans. So this should sound familiar. I am under obligation. The word is compulsion. I feel driven to do this. I am compelled with an obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. No matter how Paul felt about being beaten, being put in the stocks, being freezing cold, starving, exhausted, no matter how he felt, there was a drive in him that would not let him stop preaching. If you are a Christian, there is the voice inside of you that says, share the good news. I have heard the joyful noise. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Old hymns have a lot of meaning to them. And when you listen to them, you will get it. So they spoke the Lord, they spoke the message of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. There's that everyone in his house again. They took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. Isn't it amazing what God did? He got Paul and Silas arrested. He got them beaten. He got them jailed in the worst part of the jail. He let them go through that suffering. Why? Because there was a jailer and his family who needed to hear about Jesus. Wow, they had to suffer so they would have the opportunity to preach Jesus. And then when they did it, this entire family was changed because the whole family heard the story and they were amazed. This is not the first time. If you go back in the earlier part of Acts 16, there's a woman named Lydia of the city of Thyatira. Now she was a seller of purple. We talked about her last week. She was wealthy. She heard the news of Jesus Christ. Paul and, Paul and his companions came to her home they preached Jesus to her, and it says that she was converted with her whole household. So when God did this work, he did it to everybody. The gospel abounded. Today we have such a negative attitude toward Christianity. We have such a pessimistic or skeptical attitude that sometimes one person becomes a Christian and suddenly everybody makes fun of them. Somebody says, oh, you're, you're better than everybody else now, huh? Oh, you're a holy Joe, you're a holy roller. You know? 
That's how people treat you sometimes. But the thing is this, God is still doing something. Let's say Peyton gives up his life, decides to be a missionary, and he goes to some ridiculously backwater, nowhere in the known universe, like Utah. Okay, he goes over to Utah. He spends his whole life preaching Jesus. And people resent him. They laugh at him. They say, well, you're not a Mormon. I can't listen to you. He doesn't give up. He spends his whole life in poverty just preaching Jesus. And in the 70s, a person comes and gets saved, gives their life to Christ. Was his life wasted? No, because that one person had waited their whole life to hear the truth, and you were there to bring it to them. Now, you don't have to be a missionary to preach Jesus. Sometimes the best preachers are not preachers. People see us coming and run away. You, know, you, you, go, you go meet a bunch of people like I did yesterday, and everyone looks at you and go, there's the preacher. Look out, there's the preacher. You know, like we're some kind of plague carrier or something, you know. They treat you funny. They talk funny around you. They act weird around you because something about you makes them uneasy. And you know what I say? Good. If I can make you uncomfortable simply by being me, and that has that effect on a lot of people, I don't mind. I don't mind if it pricks your conscience, if it makes you think, if it makes you question, if it is, if I'm in the right place at the right time to speak to the right person, then everything leading up to that's worth it. Do you think Paul and Silas resented God for letting them suffer? Do you think they, they resented God for putting them in that prison, letting them suffer, letting them be hungry and cold and, and in the stocks? Because as soon as that jailer came, Paul understood why he was there. He understood why he was in that prison. He understood everything about it. It's amazing. There are so many stories that come from Fox's Book of Martyrs that tells about the things that people undergo, things they go through in order to, one, come to know the Lord Jesus, and two, to serve him the best they can. I think my favorite story is the story of a young woman in Flanders named Runkin. Runkin was just a maid, but she was a maid for the mayor. And this is the true story. You can find it in Fox's Book of Martyrs. It was illegal in Flanders to own a Bible. You couldn't do it. One day, the, the goon squad came, and they found her Bible. And they looked at her and said, is this yours, woman? She said, yes. The mayor stepped in immediately and said, no, no. It was a gift from a family member. She doesn't read it. In fact, she can't read. He was trying to save her life. But they looked at her and said, woman, is this your Bible? She says, yes. Do you read it? Yes. Do you believe it? Yes. They took her to the wall of the city, and they tore out um, a place in the wall. They put her inside, and they slowly started to break it up. And every time they got to a layer, they say, woman, do you believe this? Yes. Woman, will you renounce this? No. Will you turn away from this? No. They got to the last brick. They said, this is your last chance. Do you believe this stuff? She said, I believe they slid the brick in. It was almost 100 years before they found her and took her out and gave her a proper burial. That's faith. 
That's what we need in America right now in 2022. That kind of faith. This kind of faith. Because that's the faith that changes the world. And if we have to hurt a little bit, then we have to hurt a little bit. Amen? Well, that's